Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. and welcome back to Church Next. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Richards. With me are your other host, Myron Pierce. Hey, hey. Benton. And we are continuing our series, Business Made Missional. And on today's episode, we will be discussing what would happen if your average Christian thought it was God's plan to go after their missional calling within the work within the marketplace, sorry, rather than despite it. And discussing this with us today is author, professor, and pastor, Jay Moon. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, Jay. Oh, hello, Jade, Meyer, and Jennifer. Great to be with you all. Yeah. Great to have you here with us. So let's kick off um, at the start, really. Um, tell us about yourself and tell us about your um, ministry. Yeah, sure. Um, so for 13 years, I was a missionary with SIM, largely in Ghana, West Africa, doing church planting and water development. Prior to that, I was an engineer doing water development for seven years. And presently, I'm a professor of evangelism and church planting and the director of the Office of Faith, Work, and Economics at Asbury Theological Seminary. I've uh, authored like six books, edited five, including this book we'll talk about today a bit, Entrepreneurial Church Planting. Uh, My PhD is in intercultural studies and an MBA focused in entrepreneurship in order to determine what we could leverage from that business world in order to help us in accomplishing the mission of God. Um, I frequently speak on topics like church planting, evangelism, marketplace mission, uh, but I'm, I'm really a practitioner at heart, not just a theoretician. So I'm a teaching pastor at a local church plant. I also coach church planters and business folks. I have a handful of small businesses myself just to keep me uh, (laughs) (laughs) something to do, but also to engage unchurched and de-churched people. It's easy to get inside that Christian bubble and those businesses get me outside of that. But my hobbies really include uh, uh, tree houses. If you want to talk about that, we can. And actually, <laughs> those are some fun things I like. To- are, you, are you in a tree house right now? Uh, right now, I'm in a barn. <laughs> it's a 100-year-old <it's> <laughs> barn that I restored. But uh, we have four tree houses. And I keep talking to Myron to get him out here. He's just not coming yet. Do you know, I've always, I've always wanted to go inside the tree house. I never have all my life. So that's well, very you- interesting to me. <laughs> Well, Jade, you're most welcome. These tree houses are pretty legit. They have like, let me see, a full kitchen, toilet, wow. shower. Are all you that. serious? Oh, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I think you'll. It'll be a memorable experience. Have you ever? Have you ever like tried the Airbnb? Yeah. Well, we're totally Airbnb in it, bro. That's totally what we're doing. Wow. Wow. The occupancy is off the charts. Where were they located? It's uh, in Red River Gorge, Kentucky, which is a national forest, and the tree houses are located like one minute walk to the trails in the forest. Wow, that's amazing. I could talk about tree houses all day. I'm fascinated by them. <laughs> so, since you asked, I'll just give this little plug. You go to rrgelevatecabins.com. So, RRG stands for Red River Gorge, rrgelevatecabins.com, and you'll see the four tree houses there that you can book on Airbnb. Uh, but here's here's the unique thing. Wow. Uh, anybody in Christian ministry can get 50% off on Monday night. So oh. contact me if you're interested in that, because we want every pastor, every missionary, everybody in ministry to feel just relaxed, mm-hmm. reduce stress, and to have creativity in their life. And I, I feel that and experience that. Yeah. I, see, I love this, man. Like, you're just even out the back, like just talking to us about what you do. And I think sometimes the box church leaders we put, we put ourselves in is the lens whereby we see mission is the pulpit and coming to receive praising God together. But, but I'm pretty sure everybody's mind is blown 
that you <laughs> as a teaching pastor, you as a businessman, you as a as a professor, that you're running an Airbnb business. One of one of many. Well, let me let me just throw this. I know this is off track a little bit, but not too much. Um, every week I get in conversations with people who are outside the church. And sometimes there's deep needs. Sometimes they're, they're more perfunctory. Um, just a, a little bit ago, a lady called up and said, I need to come to one of your tree houses tonight. And she explained that her 12-year-old daughter passed away last weekend. Oh, no. So she comes out. I meet her out there. And I start to talk with her as a pastor, not as a business person, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to her and asking about her daughter and her favorite color was yellow. So what I finally tell her is, you know, the people that pass on, as long as we keep their memory alive, they still have influence in our lives. So I told her, we're going to plant a tree, the, the yellow poplar tree at the bottom of the parking lot with her name on it. And every time people come by, they're going to remember her name. And I told the gal and her husband that next year, you come back here to finish your grieving and we will pay for it. You don't pay us. We'll pay. We'll just take care of the, the cost to finish that grieving. This lady was in tears. Mm-hmm. She said, you don't know how much this means to me. We're in deep grief. And I pray with this couple. And, and the reason I mention it is they didn't go to a pastor. They didn't go to a church, but a pastor and a church came to them. Mm-hmm. And it's in the midst of just a business transaction. They were just looking for a place to stay. I was wow. looking for somebody to minister to, and the mission business provides that connection yeah. in a powerful way. That is perfect way to show um, start this show all about mission, <laughs> being on mission in the marketplace. That's that's a great example of that. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, you're welcome. Definitely. And actually, you gave us a great example of being missional and having a missional approach in the marketplace. And so um, my question, just to kind of piggyback off of that example, why is this near and dear to your heart? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, one thing really driving me here is that Christians are often missing the missional potential of their daily jobs. Mm-hmm. In other words, as Myron intimated earlier, people think that the secular work happens in their jobs, but the sacred work is what happens at church and inside the building, etc. What if... Most people are going to live out their missional calling in their lives through their daily jobs, not in spite of it. So I want people to engage their daily jobs as a missional endeavor, because if we don't, what will happen is Christianity simply becomes a leisure time religion. In other words, something they do with their spare time on the weekend or Wednesday night, et cetera. So that's one thing driving me. Another is that there have been far too many church closures And a lot of these churches are closing due to finance. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I've often told churches, and even I've been coaching some, that you don't want to operate with a blockbuster model in the midst of a Netflix generation. Uh, Are you feeling me here? So there's a lot of churches that have a Netflix financial model. I'm sorry, a blockbuster financial model that depends upon tithes and offerings alone. And when they can't get those tithes and offerings, they close. Mm. It's unfortunate because there are six different models that could keep that missionally active and financially viable. But the other is like churches that are not getting launched. I know lots of church planters have a God-given call and a vision, but they just can't raise the money required to get that three-year startup cost. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying to them is let's get outside of that kind of blockbuster thinking and let's look at new approaches that engage the marketplace to help fund it. So what we're talking about today, and I want this to be really clear, we're talking about both missional engagement and financial sustainability. So I'm not just talking about approaches to keep the church limping along and keeping alive financially without it becoming missionally vibrant. So my hope is that churches will solve the financial problem in order for them to be more generous in their communities and more engaged in their communities, not just to simply keep the church alive. Um, a missiologist, Leslie Dubigan, said this. It was kind of a, a, a stunning statement when he said it. If a church, its, its sole goal is to keep their church open, they may be working against the very plan of God. Mm-hmm. Let, let me say that again, because it's a bit stunning wow. when I first read it. 
if the primary goal of that church is just to keep their doors open, then they may be working against the very plans of God. Now, that, that's uh, kind of a harsh statement. But what he's saying is the, the goal of the church should not simply to stay open, but the goal of the church should be on mission with God so that the church is meant to be a sign, an agent, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God for the sake of the world. Mm. If the church is just surviving, but losing that mission, then it may be working against the plans of God. So mm. our discussion today is how can the church stay financially viable in order to be missionally vibrant? And those two come together. I, I love that. I love that. I think one caveat to this, this, this pie, if you will, speaking from an urban context is yes, not just staying open for the sake of raising money for the sake of staying open, but raising money for the sake of partnering with the mission of God. Yeah. Many times in urban context, you know, to use entrepreneurship or vehicles of, of service or products that you may have, it, it becomes a, a clear pathway towards justice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, like, I just don't have a business. Be- yes, the mission of God is important to me, but also like the the application of that mission, which is the the flourishing, as our friend Chris Brooks talks about, the flourishing of humanity. That right. I think when we step out in, in those type of lanes and modes, you know, for for example, we're putting on a um, a summit right here in the hood. Is mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is amazing what God's doing. We're calling it the On the Pond Summit. Love that. Yeah, you and I have talked about that a whole lot, but for for it it is both a missional opportunity, right, and an opportunity to do justice, right, and and lock arms with people who may not be following Jesus, but they just need they just need a community of people who look look act uh, like them and do business within our same community, right? And so now it's like. But then it's also setting up the door to elevate our business community, those have, who have really been overlooked. So what you're talking about is so, so important. And I guess like this, this book you've written is, is rocking the Christian world. Um, and and I, it's definitely like challenged me and I've, I've grown, et cetera. But I want you to talk about the, the heart behind this book you just wrote um, and maybe like just dive into maybe some of the chapters and, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, you bet. So uh, let me refer back to what you just said, too, Myron. You're right that the mission of God includes being a foretaste of the kingdom of God so that when people in Omaha get to experience justice, they get to experience the dignity of having a job, right? They get to experience flourishing. They're getting a foretaste of the kingdom. It's not the whole thing, but it's a piece of it. It's like when when my wife or daughters are cooking these cookies in the oven, you know, they leave that little bowl behind, and, and you know what I'm doing? I'm scraping that bowl. And, you know, I'm getting a foretaste yeah. of it. Yeah. I know the real thing is coming out of the oven, right? That's but I'm getting a yeah. And that's what people experience. Like when they're finding justice and dignity in Omaha, they're getting a foretaste. The full kingdom is coming when Christ returns, but they get a taste of it now. I like that, man. That's good. I'm still in that. I'm yeah, telling you. On, on live, <laughs> on live stream right now. I'm stealing it. I'm telling you, I'm stealing it. <laughs> well, don't worry. I, I've taken plenty of things from Myron Pierce as well. So, so even how's that? Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag so, uh, repost moment. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the the heart of the book really is um, right now that the the. the Blockbuster model is that you need to have a hundred people in a church in order to tithe to support a pastor full time. But here's the problem: What if God's best intent for that pastor in that church is a church of about thirty to forty people? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's God's intent for that church, right? That's that's the best ecosystem right there. About thirty to forty people that pastor can handle. That that feels like a family, that community. But if they're locked into this old model financially, it's not going to work. So therefore, by hook or by crook, they've got to find and drag in like, you know, 100 people. Well, what if they're not limited by that straitjacket of needing to have a minimum, say, 100 people? What are the other financial models that can Mm -hmm. help them to not only 
have their own church thrive, but they can also plant other churches. And um, as I mentioned, I tried to explore the business world as much as I could in order to do research and explore six different models that are actually working. So keep in mind, these are not pie in the sky dreaming kind of things. These are models that are actually working right now around the world and in the U.S. And uh, what we try to describe in the book is to choose a model that fits your context. So there's no one size fits all. There, there's six different options, and there's probably more that you know we haven't un- unearthed yet. But it's just basically uh, dependent upon two factors like financial liquidity and then social network access. And don't be scared by those terms. Those terms are defined and described in the book, and they're easy to arrive at. And it develops like a, a matrix whereby you can select which of those six models is most suited for your context. So what we're trying to do is say, let's look at the marketplace as this network of relationships whereby people exchange value. Okay. So think about that. The marketplace, the network of relationships where people exchange value and the church enters into that to also exchange value. And there's six different expressions that can be formed in order to engage people in the marketplace that can keep your church financially viable as well as engaged in mission. So that's what's behind the the heart of the book. Wow. And and unpack the the six for us. Okay. So the first one is to monetize underutilized assets. This is where the church is often sitting on their assets. I have to be careful how I say that. But the church is often, you know, sitting on their assets as opposed to utilizing this asset, such as monetizing their building, their parking lot, et cetera. The second is to incubate new business. So people inside the church can incubate businesses in order to create another stream of income for the church. The third is uh, nonprofits form a mission arm of the church. So the nonprofit is autonomous from the church, but the church regards that as a mission arm. And the genius part of that is the nonprofit can receive grants from organizations that churches can't. But those grants are there for social justice for addressing, you know, social issues. And the church looks at that as their mission arm. So therefore, it's not a negative draw from the church. It's also, it's actually like a, a positive. The, the fourth is co-vocational pastoring. And I describe in the book the difference between bivocational, which people are more familiar with, and co-vocational. And then uh, the fifth is entrepreneurial church planting. This is where you start a business in order to create a venue for a church or you're already working in a business, and then you use that existing business to create a venue for the church plant. And then the, the sixth one is decentralized churches, which go by many names. Uh, use microchurch, organic church, simple church, um, just lots of names out there. But these are smaller decentralized churches. And these are all models that are working presently that allow the church to be missionally vibrant and financially viable. Mm. You know, I, I thought of one when I first heard of these, I, I instantly thought, okay, what models using monetizing underutilized assets? We're incubating new businesses. We have a nonprofit arm. I'm co-vocational. Um, we have, uh, you know, entrepreneurial church planning. We're doing something with that. And then decentralized churches has it, kind of come out of us. And, uh, but I think one that, that, you know, the one with the nonprofit is like a missional arm. Another caveat to that, that the church can do is the church approved by the board can start a, a corporation and sell all the shares to the church, two separate entities. The church gets the profit from that company along with providing jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But they're two separate institutions but the mm-hmm. church is benefit, benefiting from it mm-hmm. um, as, a, as another way. Um, my, my question, a follow-up question would be, uh, you said these, these models are being used, but talk to us about people like real life stories and leaders who are maybe, maybe when it comes to entrepreneurial church planting or yeah. the co-vocational piece. Yeah. So here's a gentleman, uh, Paul Unsworth in London, England. Now, in this section of London, 3% of people attend church there. Like, that's really 
bad, right? So uh, what he noticed is 20,000 people go past this street on a Sunday with no Christian witness at all. Mm. He decided to open up like a, a sweet treat kind of place, like, you know, kind of a cafe bakery kind of place. And what he found is that people will come to that place. And then he has a church gathering on Wednesday nights, about 30, 40 people come. Here's what he said. He used to work in the church as like an assistant pastor. He said, I've had more spiritual conversations with people in a week than I had in working in a church for a whole year. And these are people that don't know anything about Jesus. So in other words, what can happen inside the church is that the pastor has to keep the machine running and therefore attending to the things inside the church, but really has a heart for outside. So Paul opened up this uh, shop there in order to engage people outside the church. What's happened is they've made enough uh, money that they now support one of the people in the church there um, goes to like a women's prison ministry that they've started. Wow. And they've also opened up uh, a ministry to women coming out of trafficking. In addition, this has worked so well, they have another section in London that they're doing the same thing now. So his goal again is for one to be missionally vibrant, right? He's engaging people that are outside the reach of the church. And secondly, be financially viable. Um, mm. On a smaller scale in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, an Asbury Seminary uh, student, Mary Strickland, she is 26-year-old certified spin instructor. Now, wow. this spin, this is like bicycling kind of thing. I mean, I'm not sure that's your vibe, Myron. I don't know. But, you know, here's the thing, right? Uh, it's large... <laughs> Yeah, it's largely a bunch of young ladies that come together and they get on these bicycles and they spin around, right? Um, but what she decided after a while, I said, well, what if I just invite them to stay afterwards and talk to each other, pray with each other, and then eventually I'll share the word with them. And it turns out that a, mo a large percentage of these people were looking for a place to belong. They wow. want community. And mm. then she's giving them purpose by giving some scripture, giving some hope. So... What we've found in other research is that the category of people that are indifferent to faith, what they're really looking for is not to have guilt overcome or shame or fear. They're looking for belonging with purpose. Yeah. And she provides that inside that spin class. So this is an example where she didn't have to start a new business. She was just working there as a spin instructor, but just was missionally attuned and said, okay, there's existing business. There's a place we can meet. Let's just meet right after we've done our spinning. Wow. And that creates, uh, for many of these women, that's their church connection. The, the reason why I love what you just said is when we even talk about church planting, we often try to create places of belonging instead of finding natural, organic places of belonging where yeah. we can be missionally vibrant. Mm -hmm. on. Right on. Yep, exactly it. I love and that. I think that's such a good reminder to us as well about um, the importance of using what is already in our hands. What mm -hmm. has God already gifted us with? What um, natural skill set do we have where we can um, use? Are we um, good conversation makers? Then go out and make a conversation with somebody. Are we good bakers that we could bake for somebody? So, um, yeah, to our audience watching, um, just remember those things that God has already put in your hands and what can you do mm -hmm. with them to um, start these communities and these um, spaces of belonging that so many people, especially after a global pandemic, um, right. the house for two years, you know, so many people are looking for a place where they can go, where they can belong and where iron can sharpen iron. So consider what's in your hands already. That's good. That's a great word. That's a great place to start because when you're providing, remember the marketplace is a, a arena where people are exchanging value. When you provide value for people, they will come to you. You don't have to knock oh. on the door and invite them to church. They're coming to oh. your class and they're already coming to you. And they're going to tell their friends to come to you. Right? So good, man. Right on. So I have a mini question before I ask the real question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I am loving this conversation and it is something that um, as a millennial is refreshing to know that this is not a millennial mindset. Mm. Uh, especially, you know, wow. coming from an older church 
<laughs> they always say, well, you millennials, you always want to come in and do all this crazy stuff. So I appreciate you so much, Jay, because um, you are validating some points that I've made uh, in my own congregation about monetizing and going beyond tithes and offerings. So my question to you is, um, what would you say to a church that is stuck in its financial ways and, and how can we shift the mindsets? Yeah, great, great. So what we do in this book, which is a free download, by the way, from Exponential, um, in the book, we say, first, take a checkup. If you're going to go for like a physical or go to a doctor, you get a checkup. So we give you steps. In one hand, you have your mission statement of your church. And the other hand, you have your budget. These are two holy documents in addition to the scripture, right? So you take those documents with you and you'll do a checkup by following the questions we give there in order to find strength areas and areas to work on. And then you take those uh, answers and meet as an elder team to start to think, okay, what areas of strength do we have? And what areas can we use those strengths to, to kind of fill in some of our weaknesses so that then we can consider which of these six options are most suited for our particular context. So what, what happens is people can live for a long time without a lot of things, but they can't live very long without hope. And if a church has wow. hope, it just won't last, right? So you're providing hope for them in the midst of, like, they're in a financial crisis. They think their only option is just to get more people to come in. or the Wow, man. What they don't realize is if they get more people, it may cost them more money. You know what I'm and, saying? And more problems. Yeah, and more problems, too, right? And so more money, more problems. Man, listen. So before, <laughs> before Jennifer asked, asked that question, I like that mini question. Before she asked her big question, I want to give a real-life example of what you just said. Because mm -hmm. we took, again, we didn't have the language for this, but, but, we, but we took the whole, the co-vocational co model. Let's, so we, we, we're, we're tinkering with that. So nobody on our team is financially paid at Mission Church anymore. Mm -hmm. it's, it's gone. It's done. Mm -hmm. Number one, tithes and offerings ain't came in. Number two, COVID has impacted us. We're in a recession. I think we need to be honest and say that we're headed to a depression. Mm. And yet, I have, a, I have a full team of, I think it's like, it's like eight of, eight or nine of us. <laughs> yeah. Right? So what do we do? Well, we said we're going to shift our gatherings from Sunday to Saturday. Mm. We're going to then open up our building as a community event center. Mm -hmm. Going to outsource our rooms to business leaders. Mm -hmm. We're going to outsource our our our, um, our little cafe to a school, mm. and and then we're taking the, the the transitional living homes that we had, and we said, you know what, we're actually going to turn those around, and we're going to going to use those to to monetize them, mm -hmm. and so now. And then everyone on our team, because we, we, you know, we, 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 we've done ministry in the hood. We've written curriculum. We've like, we've between our team, we have more value than we know what to do with. Yeah. And now all of a sudden our worship pastor can now become co-vocational and then go be on the staff of two other churches right. um, as a worship guy. And double his salary in one month. <laughs> I love it. Right. And so and so like every, and I can say that about like everyone on our team. I just wanted to give an example as to like what you're talking about and the reality of man, it's hitting everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. At a scale that I think we would we won't really we won't realize for for years to come, but we're in it. Yeah, um, I'm totally with you. Mark. So like last night I had a, a church meeting. And, uh, you know, we're very similar. We uh, use our building as an event space and we're uh, upscaling it in order to get more event space. And what we're saying is we're doing this in order to be more generous and more missionally engaged in the community. Yeah. It's not wow. simply for the church, their own aggrandizement. In other words, it's not to make our name bigger. It's really just to be more wow. generous and more missionally engaged in the community. And we do that through uh, monetizing the space. Love it. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So for the real question, um, 
Uh, should this season of missional vibrancy and financial um, vitality become a true win for the church? Where do you see the church going and what kind of impact do you envision? Well, I think what will happen, well, this actually goes back. Billy Graham said this, the late Billy Graham. He said the next revival in the U.S., he felt, is going to come through the marketplace. So I feel what we're talking about is preparing the ground for God to bring revival to the church in America and for more churches to be planted. If they weren't limited by the financial model of the past that used to work, but no longer is, they, we could probably plant double the number of churches that are being planted this year. And if we had other financial models, the 25% of the churches or so that some are saying we're going to close up to 4,000 or so, I think half of those could stay open <clears throat> due to shifting their financial model. So I think there's nothing short of a revival that could come. And I think what would happen as a result of these churches staying open and more being planted, we would have more missional activity in places like inner city Omaha or inner city Lexington or whatever community you're in. Um, instead of these churches closing, they'd be missionally engaged. And I think that mm. would lead to revival in our communities. Mm. Wow. That's good. Now there are some uh, pastors that I have talked to, of course, being a social media manager and coach. Um, there are pastors that are closing their churches and going completely digital uh, with the mindset of it's going to save us money in the long run. Our church wasn't being utilized. Do you think that's the wrong move? Well, you know, I would say this. Um, the, the physical church is here to stay and it, and it needs to be not abandoned. At the same time, we shouldn't just totally jettison that and pick up the digital and we shouldn't disparage the digital as well. I think a combination of both. And I think that's one of the lessons coming out of COVID is that churches can no longer pick one or the other. Because quite mm -hmm. frankly, if so you talk about millennials earlier, you know, so say they're like 20 somethings or whatever. Um, if the 20 somethings are going to come to your church physically, they're most likely first going to come online. They're going to visit your website, visit your streaming before they come to that, that physical door. So it's no longer an option of one or the other. I think it's always it's going to be both. Like both need to be optional and both need to be vibrant and well done in order to uh, connect with people. We had a guy that was streaming on our um, our Facebook Live thing for like several several months. He was in Tennessee and and we're in Kentucky here, right? That's you know at least a four hour drive. After about four months, he said, "You know, I finally went to a church nearby in my town, and I was in tears, and now I'm hooked." Mm. Wow. In other words, for whatever reason, there's lots of people that there's a big barrier to coming inside that church door, you know, for whatever reason it is. And one guy explained to me this way. He said, you know, suppose there's an imam that says, you know, I've got this really good mosque that has really great teaching about things for you and your wow. family. It's got a really sweet building. I think you're going to like. Wow. Only going to help you and, and, and help this community. Is there anything he could say that would get you into that building? I thought wow, about it. Not really. He's not really going to have anything to say that's to me. So, and that's when he said, that's how a lot of like 20 somethings think about the church. Mm -hmm. So, what we're talking about today, instead of trying to attract people into our building, let's go to where they are. Sometimes it's digitally, sometimes it's finding out where they work, whether it's a spin class or it's an Airbnb space, whatever. Find out where they will gather or are gathering and connecting oh. the group there. So, in short, Jennifer, I think we're beyond choosing one or the other. We don't have that luxury. I think it's going to be a robust application of both. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree um, with the hybrid church model. And, and that's what we have uh, going on. And we had Greg Atkinson on a couple shows ago, and he has the First Impressions Conference. And one of the things that I tell my team all the time is our first impression is our online service. Mm, you know, yeah. being, wow. being in the chat, um, having virtual greeters right. so that when people come on, we address them by name. Hey, so-and-so glad to see you. Thank you for worshiping with us online. Uh, yeah. You know, my bishop even jumps in the chat 
before he <laughs> preaches and says hi, you know? So, <laughs> so that's always that first impression that sticks with people. And like you said, you know, people will watch for several months because they're afraid to come through the doors, right. maybe because they had a bad church experience, but mm. we've seen people come on and they're like, you guys are so warm online. I can only imagine what it's like to show up in real life. Right. Mm. And, you know, they get met with the same kind of love when they show up through the doors physically. So to those that are watching, if you're struggling with keeping the online piece or keeping the in-person piece, as you've heard it, both are necessary during this time uh, because you're going to be it's going to be a win-win situation uh, by having both. And I know I know Jennifer is not going to say this because she is so humble. She's so (laughs) humble. She'll never toot her own horn. So I'll do it. Church leaders, you don't have to struggle alone. I mean, both both of our hosts, both Jennifer and Jay, are are fantastic when it comes to helping uh, pastors and leaders navigate digitally and auto and audio. You know, when we talk about podcasting, like so, please, please, please tap in, um, DM us, DM them, um, and let's let's get to moving on, on that on that lane, because like Jay said, it's it's not a, it's that's like asking as a black man, do I like chitlins? What kind of question you going to ask? <laughs> yes, I love chitlins. I love chitlins. <laughs> I don't know about the chitlins now. Chicken. OK, chicken. Because okay, not, yeah, not every black person likes chitlins. That's only me. But um, definitely chicken. <laughs> Make sure it's fried too. Um, I oh. With some hot sauce. <laughs> Thank you so much, Myron. Um, and you're right. I don't toot my own horn, but I love helping. And this is um, my marketplace passion, but also my ministry passion. Mm. And so I see it as an evangelical tool. And also, you know, online space is a mission field. Yeah. We won't talk about that right now. Can I um, ask a question? Um, talking about... Um, being missional in the marketplace and what do you think are some of the um, barriers or the hesitancy from a lot of churchgoers or church leaders what is the hesitancy that makes them not want to uh, mesh those two worlds so to speak yeah that's a great question because you know i was i mentioned before i was an engineer uh, in the marketplace seven years right and part of it was we didn't have models of people that were actually doing this well in other words, we've been taught in this secularization theory that you can talk about religious things in the private sector, such as your buildings and your homes, but not in the public sector. In the public sector, you have to use the scientific method, and, and that's not the place for religious discourse. Now, I think that's a bad message that we need to overcome, and we need to have models to be able to point us the way forward. So when I was an engineer, we would have every Friday lunch, we'd have a lunch together. We call it a Bible break, you know, invite your other engineers to come. We're going to have lunch together. You're going to talk about things of the Bible. And, you know, and, and much, I don't talk too much about <laughs> business settings, but, you know, Friday afternoon, not a whole lot of productivity kind of occurs, you know. So they're open and they're relaxed and they're willing to talk. Um, and we need to have models like that. I, I think... People also have this uh, sacred slash secular division so sharply that they miss the fact that they can bring their religious, um, well, their their faith reasoning and values to the marketplace. And it actually is a very positive thing. Think about now in COVID, what do we really need in the marketplace? People who care about others, people who have empathy. And I often tell people a good place to start. Suppose you're working today and I don't I don't even know what job it is. Could be driving a truck, it could be whatever. Take some time to look at other people that are working with you and encourage them somehow. Mm-hmm. Actually disarming. Because mm-hmm. most people are thinking about themselves mm-hmm. and thinking about advancing their own careers. Mm-hmm. And when you take the time to pause and point out to someone, now it's not disingenuous, it has to be legit. Just say wow. You know, when, when you answer that phone and talk to that person with empathy, I really appreciated that. And that just reminded me of, you know, God's grace in your life because I saw you display empathy. That's mm-hmm. almost disarming for people. But taking that initiative to think like missionally and look for evidence of God at work. Yeah. Yeah. So looking for, and, and what happens is the more you start looking for this, 
the more you find it. Yeah. Right? So um, had an Airbnb gal over the other day and we're just talking for about an hour. And, and I just said, my wife and I are together with her. I said, you mind if I pray for her, for, for you? She looked at me and she said, wow, I have been looking for some spiritual guidance and I didn't wait. And I said, well, here we are. So we prayed. And at the end, she said, do you mind if I keep in touch? So my wife keeps in touch via email. Wow. So here's the point. That same scenario could have been replicated with tons of Airbnb hosts. Mm-hmm. But if they weren't looking for it, they wouldn't see it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Jacob wrestling the angel. He said, wow, I didn't realize that God was in my midst. Yeah. I wasn't seeing it. So taking the time to be observant, if you're in your workplace today, look for evidence of God at work, point it out to people. It's all, all almost like disarming to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and our first step, too, in the marketplace is always doing our very best. You know, ways to glorify God by doing your best work. If you're trying to witness to people, but like cheating on the job or slacking off on the job, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? So doing our very best to show that the work that God gives us, we do it to glorify God through the work of our hands. You know, you know what, Jay, it reminds me, two scriptures came to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Romans 8, 19, where it talks about, uh, let me see here. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Mm-hmm. That what you just said, that she's I've, I've been looking for spiritual guidance. Yeah. That's, that is an exact manifestation of that scripture verse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, I think it was the other one was um, was when Paul was took his second letter to the church in Corinth. And he was like, hey, like your generosity He's talking about generosity. Yeah. It's like that that generosity or that goodness that you're demonstrating, or he called it a grace, mm-hmm. is actually so encouraging to other people. And and it, and it might, reminds me of what Paul said in Romans. He said, well, it's the goodness of God mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. leads yeah. people to repentance. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. And, and, sorry. And I had another question. Um, Quick question, because uh, we talk about, you know, bringing faith into the marketplace. And one thing that I experienced when I was um, back home at the church, it was more like um, the church was lacking the marketplace skills as well. So mm-hmm. it's like all these people had these um, professional um high status jobs they've done really amazing things in the marketplace but it's like as soon as they get to church they go brain dead and then they have no no skills and they're not (laughs) using any of their marketplace skills in the church is this something that you've um experienced and how would you speak into that yeah that's a that's a great question because here's what's happening right it's like the sleeping giant and we need to wake up the sleeping giant and when we start to talk about entrepreneurial church planting all of a sudden, you start to look, okay, who are the entrepreneurs in my church? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that know accounting in my church? Who are the people that know finance or strategic planning? And guess what? They do that really well all yeah. day in their, their jobs during the week. Now you're saying, can you use what you're gifted in, what you're skilled in, what you have fine-tuned in your work to help us in this church plan? Mm-hmm. Because they're the people that you need to have the front seat. Most of the time, those people think, the only reason they have those jobs is so that they make money to finance the church, right? Mm-hmm. And they miss the very intent that God has for that, that skill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody came to the pastor and said, you know, I think I'm called to be a pastor and I'd like to have more training, it would almost be like spiritual malpractice mm-hmm. and not encourage them and pray with them and nurture them. But what if somebody came to the pastor and said, you know, pastor, I think um, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm gifted. <laughs> Couldn't it be like spiritual malpractice to say, no, don't do that. Just go to Bible school, right? Yeah. What if we say, okay, uh, um, that's a calling, that's a gifting, and that can be learned and, and developed, and they can actually be very useful in entrepreneurial church planting. What if we help prepare and train you and utilize that gifting and skill for the church? Mm-hmm. So I'm saying that all of the work that people do in your church, all of that can be used for the glory of God. People, though, don't recognize that. They think their main role is to like bankroll the church through their, their work, as opposed to utilizing the very skills that they have learned and fine-tuned. And, and, and you know, Jay, they, they think that for a reason, Jay. 
Mm. They think that because that's what's being preached. Mm. Ooh, okay. They, they think that because that's the culture mm-hmm. that 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 their job as a Christian. Yeah. Invite people to church, mm-hmm. serve in some kind of ministry right. and give, invite, serve, give. Mm-hmm. In fact, those are many churches. Now, I'm not knocking it, but it's those, those are many churches like growth pathways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, then the repercussion of that is that to Jay's point that they end up coming in brain dead mm-hmm. because they're not challenged in what they're already gifted in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they, they uh, I mean, I'm telling you, this is I'm living this stuff right now. I had a lady in my church, man. She mm-hmm. like, Pastor, I'm so glad I could be a part of this church because what I was a part of last time, I took my dream to my pastor and told him I wanted to open a closet, clo- a clothing closet in my community. Yeah. But he told me to just go serve in the kids ministry. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 So now this this lady who who like didn't even graduate from high school, like works her regular job, is now launching her clothing closet this month. Love that. Love right. That. And and it, and it just sat. I, I I may be talking too much on this our episode because it saddens me. Like yeah. it like it makes me want to cry that we that we that people come in our churches for 50, 60 years. Yeah. And, and all they did is serve the vision of the pastor without getting to the vision that God had put in our members heart. Absolutely. Well, you know, you're touching on something really deep here. Uh, a lot of people think work is like a curse. Like I have to do this job mm-hmm. so that I can get on to my real spiritual ministry. Turns out that work, God gave work to humanity before the fall, before the curse. I mean, God right. worked to Adam and Eve to cultivate the garden, to take care of it. And that word to tend, like tend to the garden, is the same word in the Hebrew that when the tabernacle is formed, the Levites tend to the work of the Wow. It's the same concept, right? You're tending that one too. Yeah. Yeah. You (laughs) 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 So what if people realize that the work they're given is not a curse, but really it's meant to dignify humanity to co-create with God, no matter how, how desperate that work or whatever. So uh, one person talked to Martin Luther King Jr. and said, well, you know, my work is just sweeping a street. Like, how can that be dignifying? Mm. And here's what he said to him. He said, I want you to think of it this way. All of, all of the angels in heaven are looking down. And when they see you sweep that street, they're going to say, wow, that guy sweeps the street the way Michelangelo takes a brush across a canvas. To Come on, man. He said, do that job with the dignity with um, purpose, with value to it. And as you do that, it'll transform you. No matter how menial or how, it's maybe not your favorite job, but right. with the dignity that God intended it for, for it to have. So I think I, you're right. Yeah. I had a revelation when I was in college, when I got out the penitentiary. Yeah. And my job, I was a janitor and I had to like clean the toilets. Yeah. And I was so excited. Like, I, 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 I was <laughs> genuinely excited that I got to be a janitor at my school. And, and so much that I said, you know what? I am the minister of toilets. <laughs> I'm so ser- I'm so I'm being so serious. And, yeah, and I was like, I just I said, I want every person to have an amazing experience. Like, I just wanted them to experience <laughs> I like I just wanted them to be like in a stall singing that song like by Bethel. Heaven is all around us. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> a throne room experience. Come on, girl. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That heavenly music there. this conversation is pure gold i mean we have touched on so many different points that are um near and dear to my heart and i know myron has been like oh my god this is great this is great um (laughs) and we're just gleaning from everything you're saying jay and i personally want to thank you for sharing with us about the Airbnb aspect of what you do and how you've been integrated your faith with that, because there are people that are struggling to kind of bridge those identities where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm workplace gen, you know, and then I'm church gen. How do I 
combine the two and you just showed us how to effortlessly uh, mm. show our faith without being preachy, without being spooky. Um, you know, we don't have to deepen our voice and, and have uh, <laughs> opera music in the background and say, thus say of the Lord, oh. you know, <laughs> or laying people out in our office, but Whoa. we can be powerful, <laughs> right? We don't have to be Benny Hinn, but we can be powerful in our approach and still glorify God in our professions. And I, I just love this conversation. So um, I'm going to ask another question. And actually, this is kind of my last question here, and I'm going to turn it over to the rest of the team. Um, can you talk to us about the concept of the adjacent possible? Oh, yeah. This is a favorite conversation of Myron and myself. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> this comes from innovation studies, and I think it's really germane to our discussion here. So what it means is this, when people who are in disparate locations, they come together and get adjacent to each other, new possibilities arise that they would never have thought of by themselves in their own house, in their own room, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's the fact where people of different perspectives, uh, ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, they come together. That is the place where new possibilities open up. So an example would be, this guy had these little metal figures. He was a metal worker, little metal figures in his pocket. And he went to visit his friend who had a wine press. And as he saw his friend press the grapes, he decided, well, what if I take a little metal figure, put it underneath that press mm -hmm. and put some parchment under there? And that's how Gutenberg developed the printing press. Wow. Arguably changed the course of history, right? So Gutenberg would not have developed that printing press by staying in his own room, praying harder, thinking mm -hmm. harder. It's only when he came adjacent to somebody else that new possibilities arise. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happens in the church planning world. There's something called, uh, like Doug Paul calls this, the curse of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what it means is that when, and a business, uh, businesses do this as well, when business is failing, like losing market share, declining revenue, they tend to revert back to what they did before. And right. therefore, that knowledge is a curse because it prevents them from innovating. Wow. So we talked about like Blockbuster, right? I mean, Netflix came to them twice and said, you need to move out of this VHS world and go into something called digital. They couldn't see broadband coming mm -hmm. because what they decided when, when Blockbuster was failing, they doubled down on what they did before. They printed more VHS and did more of what they, they were wow, doing. Wow, man. It became a curse, right? Because... They're stuck in that knowledge that used to work. <clears throat> so that's what I'm saying about churches, too. They can often get stuck. There was an era where the tithes and offerings helped the church to thrive. Mm -hmm. Now, where it's not, they get stuck because they have this curse of knowledge. What they need to do is wow. to have the adjacent possible kick in, talk to people like Myron or Jade or Jennifer, you know, people from different contexts. As they come together, they're going to incubate new ideas Man. we'll never think of by themselves. So these six different models we'll talk about, I didn't like invent these at all. I was visiting people around the world. And it's one of the, the nice things about my position. I get to travel and, and teach, et cetera. So I get to visit these places. I'm always looking for God's mm -hmm. hand at work. And when you find these, then you say, okay, that becomes adjacent. There are new possibilities I would have never wow. thought of, but mm -hmm. they come out through that adjacent possible. And it's one of the reasons that wow. different ethnicities need to come together more because, it, and I tell this to, to my kids, to my students, anybody, if you want to learn something new, talk to somebody who looks different than you, talks different than you, smells different than you, et cetera. Jay, Jay that's why I've been saying white folks need black people. They do. <laughs> they really do. I'm, I'm, really I'm bit like, like, to what you're talking about, Jay, I went to a particular church right when dude got dude got killed in Minnesota. Mm. I said, I said, I was talking at adjacent possible conversation. There was I, I wouldn't I didn't have the words for it. Yeah. I said, if if your church, if your if you want your church to shift and just and, and adjust, yeah. which I think could actually change the bottom line of some homogenous churches if they just allowed for adjacent possible. Right. I yeah. said. How about instead of just having these different pastoral or ministry descriptions that fill your budget, what if your budget was filled with a justice consultant that looks like me? Wow. I said the best person to help change your organization 
isn't somebody who looks like you or else it will be changed. It would have been done. Yeah. It right. would have been done. And so what you're talking about is so powerful. Like uh, it's the reason why I said I wanted to be the minority on our show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was telling uh, our, our, en- our engineer producer, Bruce, like, hey, I, I, I needed two women that were powerful, different than I, yeah. amazing in their own right to help Beautiful. lead the discussion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do. And, I and we're seeing it unfold in the questions they're asking. I'm like, you don't even need me. <laughs> well, you notice, Myron, every time uh, we get together, I, I always bring people with me, right? Because I'm yeah. the people in, in my connected orbit. And I want to meet people like you, right? Because when they do, they come away asking different questions, thinking different thoughts than they yeah. would have before. Mm-hmm. That is helpful. That is healthy. And it's going to get us outside the curse of knowledge. It's going to open us up to God's work that's bigger than just our own ethnocentric focus. And that is, I think, what's going to help the church into the 21st century. Absolutely. And I really love that about the adjacent possible, because I always say that's why collaboration is so important, because we only prophesy in parts, you know, Mm -hmm. God only gives us part of the vision to get this bigger picture. We need all the other parts that he's downloaded into somebody else. So um, thank you um, for putting it in those um, um, simple words. Um, You've given us so many gems and so much advice during this episode. But I did want to ask you, um, what do you wish the prevailing church knew and embraced about entrepreneurial church planting? Yeah, that's a great question. What I'd love, this is my dream, is that people would recognize themselves as everyday, ordinary missionaries. So whatever job they go to, that's not simply to put bread on the table. It does that. But God outwits us, right? God puts you in a spot where that ordinary job is going to have missional significance. When I was in seminary, you know, I have four kids and they, they like to eat. It's not that they're huge, but they just, you know, they like to eat. So um, I started a company to design and build homes. So I was working on a project with a guy and this was a vinyl siding guy. And he's in tears. He comes to me and he says, Jay, can you give me some counsel? My wife's about to leave me. I don't know what to do. You're the only person I could think of to talk to. <clears throat> now think of this. I am in his office because I'm buying vinyl siding. That's just a business transaction. I thought that's why I was there. But God outwits us. That's what Maxie Dunham, former president of Asbury, used to say. God's intent was for that guy and myself to get connected, right, in his deep hurt. And what I'm saying is that, like, opened up a light bulb for me to start looking for missional purposes behind my daily job. And that's what I would hope is that in entrepreneurial church planting, people look at their jobs, their uh, business, whatever it is, as um, their missional calling and not simply to put bread on the table, even though it does that as well. Mm. Oh, my goodness. This is, listen, we needed more time. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually actually going to get more time in August because we're having – Jay back for the Business Made Missional Summit that is going to be online. Boom. Hey. Oh, I just dropped it. Let's do it. Great. So <laughs> I, I'm just going to say this publicly now. Jay is my new uncle. <laughs> <laughs> uncle Jay. <laughs> uncle Jay. He's officially adopted. <laughs> You're <listening right. laughs> oh, Uncle Jay. Um, can you tell us where we can find your book? <laughs> yeah, well, um, there's a couple of things, a couple of resources. One is with Exponential, I have two ebooks, and if, and these are free, right? So you go into Exponential and under books, type in the words missional vibrancy and financial viability. And then that's one book that talks about our discussion today. If you want to drill more into the entrepreneurial church planning, which is one of the six options, there's another short book called A Missional Approach to the Marketplace. That's all, also one of the free ebooks on Exponential. If you want to dig a bit deeper into entrepreneurial church planting, you can go to Amazon and there's a book called Entrepreneurial Church Planting, colon, Engaging Business and Mission for Marketplace Transformation. Now, in that book, it provides more theological foundations as well as historical foundations, as well as examples from around the history of the church that help give some foundation to this so that we're not just talking about a new shiny toy or a new idea. What we realize is this has been going on for the church for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. It seems that since the Industrial Revolution, we kind of you know, pushed it to the side and people where they work is far away from where they live and where they worship. Before the Industrial Revolution, those were very close. So that, that book on Amazon is meant to give deeper foundations so that people can have a robust understanding and not just look at it as like a new novel idea, but this is something that has theological roots, biblical roots, historical roots, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then also let us know where we can find you. Can we connect with you online and, and what's your email, Instagram, all that good stuff. Yeah. So the easiest way is uh, W at moons, M O O N S.com. That's my email address. And if you go to, if you want to look up a tree house, I'll uh, give you that <laughs> again. That's uh, com, And that's where you find those different options. And if, if you find an option on a Monday night and you want a 50% discount as a Christian worker, email me and then I'll tell the business manager and we'll give you 50% off. For all my aunts, all my, my people out there, aunts and uncles, you're there. You're invited. <laughs> awesome well you guys this wraps up our show this has been an amazing conversation and um, i just pray that you guys glean as much as we did i think we were uh (laughs) getting the impartation just as much and so listen tell somebody about church next we're on instagram at church next show and also um invite your friends to join exponential you can join through our link in our bio and it's really easy it's free and uh, get all of this wealth of knowledge, all these good shows uh, that we're putting out there. It is for you because we want to equip you and empower you to do the work of the Lord and uh, be your best at it. So, all right, y'all, we're out of time. Love you guys. Until next week, peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.